Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams, and I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. If you're local, come hang out with us. Be our guest one Sunday morning. We have one service. It's at 1030 a.m. You can learn more about the church, how to get there, what we're all about, by visiting our website, which is calvary316.com. Again, that's calvary316.com. I do hope you stay with me wherever you're listening or however you're listening over the next hour or so as we seek to deconstruct the negative perception of Christians by boldly discussing today's relevant topics in an honest and genuine way. Uh, Today is part two uh, of an episode we began last week, an interview discussing something that's very relevant, the topic of homosexuality. We'll get back to the subject matter here in just a few minutes, but just want to let you know that it's important to us to hear from you, the listening audience. Uh, There are several ways that you can reach out to us. Our email address is info at outlawradio.org. Facebook.com slash The Radio Outlaw. Like us, follow us, connect with us that way. And if you're into Twitter, our handle is at radio underscore outlaw. The reason we want to connect with you is, first, if our programming, if our show, the subject matter we're talking about, if it if it impacts you, if it the Lord uses it in a profound way, we want to hear about that. Uh, radio is one of these things that... Uh, the challenge is just not knowing what kind of impact you're making. Uh, I'm sitting here in my studio, uh, sometimes looking across the desk from Creighton, a lot of times just looking at my refrigerator on the other side of the room. You're talking into a mic, into a void, and you're just really trusting that the Lord is going to use this uh, to impact people for the kingdom. Uh, We're Jesus people. We love Jesus, and we believe that God's grace changes everything. And so, if the Lord's using this, it's good for us to hear about it. It encourages us to continue to do uh, what we feel called to do. Uh, It's just, it's nice. That being said, if something is said on the show, and what we're discussing last week and this week is quite controversial, this issue of of homosexuality. It shouldn't be, but it is. It's just the culture that we live in. If you're listening to these things and and it's rubbing you the wrong way, let us know. Uh, We don't have to be monolithic in thought. Uh, We try to be biblically based here on the Outlaw Radio Show, but we would love the banter. Um, We would love the conversation and the dialogue. Um, You don't have to agree, but we can agree to disagree agreeably. So uh, if you hear something and it moves you, let us know. If you hear something and it bugs you, let us know. If you have something that you would like me to talk about, if you want to submit a topic, reach out, let us know. Uh, We love getting that type of feedback. I have gotten several of your questions. I'm working on them diligently. We'll have an episode coming up soon uh, where I'll address them. Uh, Questions, challenges, topics, anything for future episodes, nothing's off limits. Again, the ways to reach us, very, very easy. Info at outlawradio.org, facebook.com slash the radio outlaw, and then Twitter at radio underscore outlaw. Again, just a little bit of, of housekeeping. Um, If you are listening in the radio, which I know a lot of you are, and you're unable to stay with us for the entirety of the show, that's okay. That's why we have a podcast. Every episode of the Outlaw Radio Show is podcasted. Uh, If you're unfamiliar with podcasting, it's very simple, cool technology. If you listen to stuff on your phone, go to your podcasting app, probably built in. If it's Apple, it's a podcasting app. And you can subscribe to the Outlaw Radio Show. And so everything that you hear on the radio gets packaged for our podcast. It gets published. And so instead of you going and looking for the audio, trying to find it, uh, as soon as we post it, a little ping goes out and it immediately downloads to your device. So again, if you're listening on the radio, you can't stay with us, but you find this stuff intriguing, uh, download the podcast, subscribe to our show, uh, and all of the content uh, will come to you. As mentioned, we're having a conversation about homosexuality. Uh, It is a topic of controversy. It's a topic that a lot of Christians in today's very politicized day and age shy away from. It's probably the one topic or the one biblically held belief uh, that garners the most kickback, the most persecution. We see that happening most recently with Chick-fil-A being labeled a hate group. It's just a restaurant serving a great chicken sandwich. And yet, because 
the founder held to a biblical position on marriage and sexuality, they get ostracized. They take heat from it. If you bake a cake, but don't want to do it for a gay wedding, you can get sued and be tied up in litigation. This stuff is very important. Now, we're having a, a dialogue with Sam Alberry. Sam has written a book specifically titled, Is God Anti-Gay? Fascinating. I encourage you to go back and listen to our previous interview. We kind of left things off with the big question. Can you be a practicing homosexual and be a Christian? And it's with that question that we're going to pick things back up uh, here with the Outlaw Radio Show. I'm going to phrase the the next question kind of in a twofold way, and I'm going to do this very carefully because this is where this conversation almost always lands. Um, can you be a practicing homosexual and a born-again follower of Jesus? And then the second part to the question, if you still find yourself struggling with same-sex attraction, does that mean you haven't experienced regeneration? Very, very, very important questions. Um, in response to the first question, I'd, I'd want to say two things. I'd want to say, firstly, I'm going to hold both of these things together. Uh, the first is the Bible makes it very clear, First Corinthians 6 comes to mind, that people who do not repent of this particular form of sin, it's not unique to this sin, but it certainly includes this sin, people who don't repent of this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Um, the second thing I'd want to say is, is that that is not saying Christians are those who are, are utterly sinless and perfect. The issue is the presence or, or absence of repentance. Uh, the mark of the, of the real converted, born-again uh, Christian believers is not that they don't sin anymore, but that they are repentant. They're living a life of ongoing repentance so that when we do stumble and fall, we repent genuinely, heartfeltly. Um, so there may be Christians who, who are battling this very temptation and who do succumb from time to time. I wouldn't want to say that must mean they're not Christians, but I'd want to know is are, are we seeing the marks of true repentance? in their lives? Are they, are they grieved deeply by their sin? Um, are they desperate to, to know the purity of, of life in Christ? And that's, that leads into to your second question, which is that I don't think the Bible promises us that we will be experiencing the removal of temptation as we grow in Christ. Uh, the promise I do see in the Scriptures is that God will always give us a way out of temptation. Uh, we never have to. We never have to succumb to temptation. But it seems to me the New Testament expects us to be fighting temptation, and so I, I think that's the case for all of us. Now, that's not to say our our feelings can't change, um, but I don't think the Bible promises that if someone comes to faith in Jesus, then any kind of temptation towards people of the same sex will will kind of evaporate um, as they grow in Christ. Um, I know too many really godly older saints who still fight sin and still fight temptations that they've been fighting for decades and yet are, are, you know, are determined to live for Jesus. Um, so I, it's one of the things where we, we must not go further than the scriptures do. And I, I've heard a number of Christians say, well, if you're really a Christian, you would start to have feelings for the other sex. And I just don't see that being being spelled out in that way in the Bible. Um, if, if that supposition is correct, I can't be a Christian. Um, but I also want to say, well, what about those who experience heterosexual temptation and continue to fight that throughout their life as a, as a Christian? Does that mean they're not believers? Um, and I think if you, if you go down that way, I don't know who's left standing because... You know, all of us experience some kind of temptation. James 1 says, when you are tempted, he doesn't say, if you are tempted, he says, when you are tempted. When the day, Paul says, um, you know, we're to, we're to put to death the misdeeds of the, of the flesh. That's a daily experience. We are constantly mortifying our sin. Um, Galatians 5 talks about the, 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 the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit and the two are are fighting each other. So 
I, I see Christian maturity not in the absence of a battle of sin, but in the very presence of that battle. Um, if we're genuinely converted, there is an almighty battle going on in our souls now, because the Spirit of God is drawing us to Christ, and yet the deeds of the flesh are still there, and they're still tempting us away from Christ. And it be, I guess, the sign of a true believer is is the presence of that fight, the presence of that desire, that our deepest desire, deep in our desires for any kind of sin, is is to live in obedience to Jesus. I want to take the concept of regeneration and kind of pivot to really one of the most controversial aspects of this discussion, and that centers on the idea of gay conversion, uh, whether it be through therapy or counseling. Most incredibly, 18 states in the United States have laws making it illegal to do anything to, quote, attempt to change a minor sexual orientation or gender identity using, quote, psychological or spiritual interventions. So with that in mind, do you believe a person's sexual orientation can change? Is, is that possible? I think it is. I, I don't like the language of sexual orientation precisely because it implies this is something very innate and fixed and definitional. Um, I think most of us have a particular shape to our sexual feelings, a particular pattern of attractions that we, we observe within ourselves. Those can and do change. Sometimes they change just through a person's natural growth. I, I know so many people who've found their sexual feelings have changed during the course of their going through puberty and teenage years and even through into their their early 20s, they've noticed changes, quite significant changes, just as the natural course of, of the body developing. Um, and God is sovereign. And so these things are not beyond uh, God being able to, to change in one way or another. So what I, what I tend to think about these conversion therapy things is that I don't think they should be illegal. I think adults should be, should be free to choose if they want to have that kind of therapy. That should be their freedom to choose that. Um, I don't think the state should be removing that choice from them. But at the same time, I've, I've not yet seen a form of, of that kind of therapy that I have understood to have been truly Christian. I may just be because I've not come across it yet, and there are plenty of good examples out there, in which case I'll be happy to be corrected. But the, the instances I've seen of people trying to have their, their sexual feelings changed through therapy, I've been really troubled by it. I, I've lost count of, of the number of Christians who, who've been told by gay conversion therapists that they need to start looking at heterosexual pornography as part of, of what will change their feelings. I just think that is, that is entirely inappropriate. So... I don't think these things should be made illegal, but I've yet to find an instance of any kind of therapy like this that I would be remotely comfortable recommending to a genuine, sincere believer. Um, if they belonging to their feelings to change, I think that is something that we as, as Christians can, can pray for. I think there can be times when counseling can help us to understand some of the, the experiences that may have shaped our sexual feelings, and, and sometimes... There's trauma in the past, there's, there's abuse, there's any number of other things that can shed light on our, our sexual feelings and therefore better understanding those experiences can be part of the healing process. But um, I'm, I've just not been at all impressed with any of the examples of, of gay conversion therapy that I've, I've encountered. I've not looked at any of them, but I've not had a massive priority of mine to, to investigate these things, but... I've not seen anything there that's really remotely comfortable as a pastor recommended. We're running against a hard break. If you find this stuff interesting, you want to hear more, more of the interview with Sam Alberry. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Outlaw Radio Show. One of the most important visions of The Outlaw Radio Show is our desire to challenge you to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then pursue answers on your own. The sad reality is many Christians fail to reflect Christ because they don't know what they believe or why they believe what they do. This is why, in addition to the Outlaw Radio Show tackling tough topics you might not hear at church, 
It is our desire to equip, inspire, and challenge you to dig into God's Word and wrestle with these complex topics on your own. To help you in this important process, we want you to check out blueletterbible.org. It would be an understatement to say that this website will transform the way you study the Bible. In fact, it will revolutionize it. Aside from their treasure trove of free online commentaries, blueletterbible.org also has an incredible word search function, making it super simple to dive into the original language behind a text. So if you want to dig deeper into your study of scripture and in the process, learn and grow, we encourage you to check out blueletterbible.org today. Well, let me speak to that kind of pastoral heart that you have. Can you take just a few minutes and give some practical advice to a parent who might be listening on the radio or through our podcast, who has a teenager at home that's just struggling with their sexual identity. And as a parent, you're wanting to help, but you just don't know exactly what to do. Can you speak to that person for a few minutes? Yes, and this is not uncommon. So I think one of the things to say to to such parents is you're really not on your own. Um, Virtually every teenager in some way struggles with their sexual identity, partly because we all, as we grow up, we, we become aware of our, our sexual feelings and, and therefore as fallen people, we, you know, we, we come to terms with the feelingness of our sexual feelings and add to that the pressure from our culture to try and, you know, slate those feelings with some form of personal identity. I would expect most teenagers at some point, even very godly teenagers, to have some kind of uh, time of, of struggle or uncertainty about this whole kind of thing. I, I, I wouldn't want people to be unduly alarmed by that. That's the case just as much for teenagers who are wrestling with sexual identity when it comes to heterosexual feelings as it is for those with, with same-sex feelings. But the Bible shows us to expect our teenage kids to be sexually fallen and sexually broken. Therefore, we're dealing with, with is, is what type of fallenness and what type of brokenness is my own particular son or daughter grappling with? Uh, am I creating a kind of environment as a parent where they feel able to talk about that? Um, so I think time, patience, lots and lots of grace is going to help. Uh, sometimes, as I said already, this can be a bit of a moving target. Um, I don't think especially in, in teenage years that one's sexual feelings are particularly fixed. And so someone may find themselves tempted to always people of the same sex for a period of time, even a period of a few years, and find that those feelings come and go of their own volition. So I wouldn't want this to be a kind of a big, too big a, a kind of panic moment, either to the child or to the parents. But I think having three lines of communication is, is vital. I think a child knowing that they really are deeply loved by their parents and nothing's going to change that is very, very significant. And I, I, I would also gently want to encourage Christian parents to have the right priorities for their kids. Um, I've heard too many Christian parents say, well, I'd rather have a daughter who slept around than a son who was same-sex attracted and yet wanted to be faithful to Christ. And that strikes me as as deeply problematic. Um, What we we should most long for our our son or daughter is that they know Jesus and they're growing Jesus. Um, If they happen to experience same-sex temptation, that may well be part of the process God uses to make that young believer more dependence on Christ that may actually be something that is the occasion for their growth and sanctification as they seek to flee these particular forms of, of temptation. So we, we mustn't put our own idols on our kids and sometimes I think parents have such a, a, a kind of, they've already begun to idolize their child's future marriage and future family life but anything that seems to be a threat to that is, is kind of cataclysmic. Uh, when I say, if your child grows up faithfully serving Jesus and they, they never know, that's a win. But with some Christian parents, I honestly don't know whether they would prefer their children faithful to Jesus in marriage. And that's, that's really disturbing. 
So I think, it, you know, I know these things are, are hugely sensitive, but I, I just want to implore Christian parents to have godly priorities for their kids. And it's natural for a parent to want their child to be, you know, to have a healthy sexuality, to be, to be married, to, to become parents themselves. But those things aren't ultimate. Jesus was single. Paul was single. Many of God's servants over the centuries have been single. And so if our child is single and faithful to Jesus, that is no loss. That is something we should be deeply thankful for. But sometimes that is not the message we're giving our kids. It's, I would rather you were morally compromised but heterosexual than faithful to Jesus and so sex attracted. And I, I'm, I'm really, really, <laughs> I just think that's an appalling perspective to have. So, all that to say, we've got to be gracious, we've got to have a gospel perspective, uh, we've got to be loved, we, we must never give our, our kids a reason to think we don't love them, um, and try and be the kind of parents who are approachable, who the child can walk in the light with and say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with right now, um, and have that kind of honesty. There's no doubt that your position's um, have brought with them a fair share of criticism from our secular society. So with that in mind, why do you believe the LGBTQ lobby is so militant towards Christians to the point that anything other than a full celebration of a gay lifestyle is considered to be bigoted? Like, why isn't just the freedom to live the way that you want, even marry, just not, doesn't seem to be enough? It's a good question. I've, I've, I think of that very often because it, I know in the UK when, when gay marriage is first being talked about as something to be legislated, the, the sort of comment we kept being given was, hey, this isn't going to affect anyone else's marriage. You know, it doesn't affect you if the person down the road is able to marry their same-sex partner, live and let live kind of thing. And that, that very quickly morphed once the legislation was passed to, no, no, you really must, you must affirm this. And we're going to find legal means to compel you to affirm this. And I think it's because um, in our culture we have we have shifted very very significantly in the last ten or fifteen years. Um, we have made identity and morality and truth a matter of deeply personal intuition, and so. The, the kind of framework people have today, we don't even know this is what is going on. It's, it, it's so assumed. But the framework we have today is you look deep inside yourself, you, you discover certain longings within you, and those longings become the foundation for your personal truth, your personal identity. Those things are supreme. And so if, if anyone contradicts those or doesn't affirm those longings or is not accepting of those learnings, they are rejecting you as a person. And that is the unforgivable sin in our culture today. That is the, the greatest offence. So we think as Christians, we're simply saying to our non-Christian gay neighbor, hey, I, you know, I love you, I like you, I just don't agree with what you're doing. What they're hearing is, no, you are rejecting who I am. And therefore, that is a form, and again, this is the way our culture sees these things, that is a form of violence. That is a form of abuse and harm, which means you must be silenced. So that, that seems to me to be the, the place where we've, we've come. It's not that people think we have a, an old-fashioned sexual ethic. That used to be the criticism. Uh, today, people think we are actually dangerous as Christians because our beliefs, are harming other people. Uh, they're harming people who are, you know, LGBTQ plus. And therefore, the, the response of many in our culture is, well, we must censor Christians. Uh, we must not let those views be articulated in any kind of public space. So we have this culture of, of increasing censoriousness and, you know, legislation either trying to compel Christians to to, to bake a cake, which I have a pro-gay message, or to compel Christians to not be able to say things that they would want to say of a, of a kind of orthodox Christian viewpoint. So I think that's why this has become the, the 
big deal that it's become. And while we, while we as Christians, um, you know, we should be concerned about these things, I think at the very same time as all of that is going on, tons of LGBT people are coming to Christ. Um, this is a great time to be a Christian. <laughs> and I think part of the desperation of that lobby is, is, is almost a, a tacit acknowledgement that there is a, a brokenness here that, that can't be fixed and we don't want to stare that and look in the eye. And so therefore, we only want people to say positive things because we can't cope with actually addressing the reality of how desperate so much of this really is. What a really fascinating answer. We're approaching a break. We're going to come back uh, for more of this interview with Sam. As a matter of fact, we're going to kind of wrap things up. Still have some very important questions, some practical questions. There's no doubt that the church um, has been accused of being homophobic largely because, well, we've kind of been homophobic. (laughs) Like we failed to understand the complexities of of the issues that we've been facing. And and we failed, if we're being real, to emulate the love of Christ towards the, the homosexual community. And as a result, I'm going to ask Sam, a pastor, someone that's on the front lines, how the church should handle this, this issue of controversy, uh, not just from the macro, but from the practical. Like, How should we treat the homosexual that comes through the doors of our church? How should we love them and welcome them? I don't want to get into the weeds, but we're going to also talk about singleness, Sam and his own struggles, the decision to be celibate, to remain single. He's going to speak specifically to any of you that might be dealing with these type of issues, these struggles, same-sex attraction. I'm going to wrap things up by even talking a little bit about Thai food, which will be fun. If you're unable to stay with us, that's okay. Check out our podcast. Easiest way to find us is to visit our website, which is outlawradio.org. Top right-hand corner, there's a link that says podcast. Quick links to iTunes, Google Play, or go search my name, Zach Adams. Aside from that, I want to encourage you to check out Sam's books. Go to Amazon.com, search his name, Sam Alberry, Sam, S-A-M, A-L-L-B-E-R-R-Y. Some great books. Really encourage you to order a copy of Is God Anti-Gay? You'll find it to be very beneficial. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with the Outlaw Radio Show. One interview with Sam Alberry just did not seem to cover the topic enough, and so Pastor Zach decided to do a second interview with Sam Alberry. And you've just listened to the first half of this interview. Don't go anywhere. Come back in just a moment for the second half of Zach's interview with Sam Alberry here on the Outlaw Radio Show. Homosexuality is an important topic that we must be correct about in the body of Christ. Today, Zach is talking with noted author and pastor Sam Alberry here on the Outlaw Radio Show. That's a great segue into my next question. I think it's safe to say the evangelical church, at least in America, I can't speak to the UK, uh, but we've gotten the reputation of being homophobic largely because in over the last 50 years, we probably acted homophobic. The church failed to understand the complexities of this issue. We failed to emulate the love of Christ towards this community. Uh, I think a lot of that's changing. And with that in mind, as a pastor yourself, how should the church handle this unavoidable cultural issue and really the animosity that we're experiencing kind of from the other side? Yeah, it's, a, it's such an important question. Um, we, we, mustn't, we mustn't be assimilated by culture. So however, however great the pressure becomes, we mustn't change our theology because of that. That is actually a form of denying Christ. Um, so, and I think that's a mistake of the kind of progressive and liberal parts of the, of the kind of Christian world. Um, nor, I think, must we purely be adversarial towards culture. Um, there are things that should be critiqued. Um, there, there's a, there's a, a place for the church to have a prophetic voice where we are necessarily critiquing in order to, you know, be a voice of, of protection and help to those who are actually the victims of this ideology. But at the same time, we, we've got to be living in our in our culture distinctively. And, you know, Paul says in Colossians, let your 
conversation, be gracious and see them themselves. Um, I think sometimes we, we adjust. I've seen Christians, I think, are just too angry. Um, they're angry that the culture seems to be going in a more hostile direction. They're, they're angry that the, the church doesn't have the kind of social capital and uh, even political influence that it used to have. Yet when Jesus sees the lostness of the crowds, he has compassion. Uh, he doesn't scold them. He doesn't have a go at them. He has compassion in them and teaches them. And I think we would do well to adopt that same posture and, and to see these you know, disturbing trajectories our culture is going in, but not respond with, with anger and disdain and being demeaning and mocking. Um, but actually to respond, think this is this is how lost our culture is, and this is the gospel opportunity we have. We're going to get our heads kicked in, but we're going to see people come to Christ as well. So let's be gracious. Let's be compassionate. Let's seek to understand people and get alongside them and, and build relationships with them, even if we don't like the way they live and, and the way they conduct themselves and the way, even the way they treat us. But I, I think if we don't do that, if we just take a, a kind of adversarial posture and treat this as a culture war, um, I just don't think that's going to help the gospel. Um, I've, I've just seen too many... <laughs> LGBT plus people come to faith in Jesus through hospitality of Christians rather than Christians being screened for his wisdom. And there are hard truths that we, we need to share with people, undoubtedly. But those are best shared in the context of hospitality, of, um, of friendship, of, of graciousness, of getting to know people, of, of listening and understanding as well as we possibly can. I want to do something real practical um, just because so often when we talk about how to handle the community, how to address the community, okay, we understand the ideal, but when we try to take the ideal into the practicalities, that gets complicated. So how should a church um, handle a practicing homosexual that wants to plug into the larger church community? Yeah, that's a good question. We, we actually we long for that to be the case. Um, I think what we do is we, we respond, how, how do we respond to any kind of as yet unrepentant sinner who wants to be involved in church life? And I think two things, we, we want to draw people in. We want people to be relationally involved, to get to know the church family, to understand what we believe, for, for deep friendships and, and relationships to form. Um, but there would be boundaries to what we allow someone who's not repentant to do in the church. Um, so we, we wouldn't give them any, any kind of spiritual authority. Um, there'd be certain activities in church that we, we wouldn't have them run. We wouldn't let them teach in, in Sunday school classes or children's work or anything like that. But we wanted people to be drawn in to the life of the church because we, we trust that by being drawn into the life of the church, they're getting the gospel in 3D. They're, they're hearing the, the, the word of God being taught, that they're seeing the word of God being incarnated all around them in, in the life of the Christian community. So I don't, I don't think the question should be different for someone who is practicing homosexual than it would be for someone who's unrepentant about any other sin. Um, I want them to be involved. I want them to, to hear and experience as much of the gospel as, as possible and, and with the hope and the longing that they will, uh, they will come to Christ. Um, so I think that would be my response. Um, not to welcome them in without any kind of caveats or without any kind of conditions or, or constraints, but certainly to have a posture of, of welcome and invitation and wanting that person to, to get to know the, the life of the church as well as possible. Coming back to the practicalities of your story, um, because you still struggle with same-sex attraction, and I, th I think you've spoken outwardly about that. Y you've made a decision, a life decision, to be celibate, to be single. In fact, you wrote a book, The Seven Myths About Singleness. Uh, can you speak directly to the listener who's sh that shares that struggle, that's struggling with same-sex attraction, doesn't know what to do, uh, is, is wrestling with, with things that you've wrestled with? What advice would you give them? 
I think the, the, the simple and most important thing is to keep keep experiencing, trusting in, and tasting the goodness of Jesus. Um, I know people who've wrestled with this where they have been able to marry someone of the other sex, either because their feelings have changed or they've just met someone who seems to be the exception to the rule and they've had sufficient chemistry with that person for them to be able to have a, a happy and healthy marriage. So it's not necessarily the case that this is going to be singleness for every single person who wrestles with same-sex attraction. But just simply to trust that, that God is good and whether we and this, this applies to people who aren't same-sex attracted, but whether we marry or remain single, we're, we're experiencing something of God's goodness either way because also both of those things are gifts. They are expressions of God's goodness. And so I know lots of people who are involuntarily single and who would love to be married. Um, actually, I know a few people who are married and find their married life very, very painful. But we, we have to trust in, in the goodness of Jesus. If, if we walk in his ways, if we follow in his footsteps, if we link arms with him, he will do what is right for us. Um, Captain Taylor, the, the pioneer missionary to China, after his wife Maria died, one of the things he wrote in his journal was, our, our Jesus has done all things well. And that doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't, you know, sometimes Jesus doing things wrong for us is extremely painful for us. But we've got to trust that, actually, we really do trust Jesus on this. Culture is not going to help because it's going to, it's going to give us all kinds of untruths about, you know, you've got to be sexually fulfilled in order to be a whole complete person. And sometimes, sadly, that view is, is sort of reflected in the church as well. But if we, if we take Jesus at his word, he will, he will not let us down. What about the person that has, or at least kind of creates this framework where I struggle with same-sex attraction, there's this person in my life, we understand we can't have sex because that would be wrong, but they're going to be, we're going to be life partners. Yeah, I want to be very, very careful. Um, there, are, there are forms of rich and deep friendship, the Bible encourages us to have them. There are forms of deep relationship the Bible discourages us from having. I think to, to have a romantic style but non-sexually expressed friendship I think is inappropriate. I don't think it's merely the presence or absence of sex that is the issue. It's the, it's the type of affection we have for the other person. If we're harboring romantic affection to that person, that is still, I think, it inappropriate. So, yes to deep friendship. The Bible commends that. We see wonderful examples of that in the Bible. But not in a kind of exclusive, romantic, life partner kind of way. We do want committed friendships. I think commitment is something we need more of in our friendships. But I think one of the things that makes the kind of friendship that is appropriate uh, different to the kind of friendship that isn't appropriate is the issue of exclusivity. Um, real non-romantic, non-sexual friendship is open-handed. Um, friendships don't have to be exclusive. The moment a friendship starts to become exclusive, I think it's, it's becoming quasi-marital and quasi-romantic and unhealthy. Um, so we, we can have very deep, I, I have some very deep friendships and I'm those things are life-giving to me, but they're not exclusive romantic-type friendships. Um, sometimes that can be a pattern. Sometimes there's a part of me that wants them to become that, but I think we've got to maintain clear biblical boundaries on what are healthy forms of, of closeness and what are unhealthy forms of closeness. And again, all the while trusting God. God knows the stuff better than me do. What God is love means not that I assume every feeling I call love God approves of, but, but God knows far more about love than I do. And therefore, if I listen to him, I will, I will love him far, far better. This interview has been informative. It's been deep. Um, I want to kind of close on a, a lighter note. Um, outside of Southeast Asia, where have you found the best Thai food? Um, Cambridge, Massachusetts. In Massachusetts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a little Thai restaurant there. It's kind of plastic tables and chairs. 
only has five or six things on the menu. It's the best Thai food I've had outside of Thailand. Um, so any speaking requests I get for Cambridge, Massachusetts, I, I say yes to on that basis alone. Um, I'm sure there's other great Thai food in other places, but outside of Thailand itself, that is where I've had the best Thai food. Now, I've also read that you're constantly tinkering with a, a Thai curry recipe. Have you have you achieved perfection, or is it still a work in progress? I don't think perfection will come until glory, but I think there is, there is ongoing growth in, in glory. So um, it's, uh, it gets better. <laughs> what an honor to have Sam with us here on the Outlaw Radio Show. When we come back from the break, I'm going to share a few final thoughts. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Did you know beyond the unique content of the Outlaw Radio Show, Pastor Zach Adams also has an extensive teaching archive available online for free? If you love to study the Bible, we encourage you to check out c316.tv. Currently, Pastor Zach is teaching verse by verse through the Gospel of John, but C316.tv also has video, audio, and sermon notes for the Gospel of Mark, the Book of Acts, Ephesians, Genesis, Philemon, Jonah, Philippians, as well as an in-depth study on the Olivet Discourse and Jesus' seven letters to the churches recorded in Revelation 3 and 4. With over 17,000 minutes of expositional Bible teaching and more than 2,775 pages of written sermon transcripts, C316.tv is a must-visit for any serious student of the Bible. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We just wrapped up the last bit of this two-part, two-episode interview I had the pleasure of doing with Sam Alberry. What a treat, what a blessing. Uh, for those that might not know, this interview has been in the works for literally a year, and we were finally able to block out some time uh, uh, to conduct the interview. Now, as as I kind of take the time to consider, to chew on, to mull over uh, Sam's answers to my questions, I really I want to leave you with the time that we have remaining with, in essence, five big takeaways uh, from the interview. First, there is a big difference between same-sex attraction and an active homosexual lifestyle. And, and it centers on identity. And you really get that, uh, that big idea from Sam, that his identity is not based in his sexuality, his identity is based in something much deeper, much more real, much, much larger than biology. It's a relationship with Jesus. There's no question that Sam's love for the Lord uh, kind of oozes forth, uh, even through his British accent. Uh, you can tell the man really loves Jesus. There's a difference between someone that struggles with who they're attracted to, and that's not always your fault. If there's a biological cause, well, that's brokenness. It's sin. If it's because something happened that established a, a, a different type of framework for how your sexuality developed moving forward, we, we know childhood experiences do play a role. That's also a manifestation of, of not something that you chose or, or you decided on, that you might have been a victim of something that you're experiencing the results of. Dealing with a struggle, a struggle rooted in fallenness and sin is much different than succumbing to the struggle of just embracing the attraction in, in this lifestyle. It, it always strikes me as weird that we have the gay pride parade, that there's, that there's pride in, in, in the sexuality. I, just always has struck me as, as odd, pride. Not exactly a, a virtue that we, we uphold. The second takeaway from, from this interview, from these two episodes, um, is that it doesn't matter, really, how you were born. Sam brought up a point in John chapter 3. Um, he called it a really controversial, offensive idea when Jesus says that you have to be born again to be saved, that it's only those who are born again 
that inherit the kingdom of God. And the idea, what Jesus is articulating, is that no one is born righteous, that we're all born broken, that we all are born falling short of this ideal standard that God always had in mind for humanity, that we've, we've fallen short, that we're born into sin, we're born into brokenness, and that we need Jesus to do something pertaining to how we were originally born for us to be saved, that we need to be regenerated, that we need to be made into someone new, Again, being born with a certain proclivity doesn't excuse you falling through with the proclivity. Genetically, we know that people are predisposed, excuse me, I'll get it out, to alcoholism, but that doesn't justify you going and being an alcoholic. Just because you were born a certain way doesn't justify the behavior. Thirdly, regeneration is a lifelong process. Now, we didn't really get into it in length in this interview, but... And listening and reading some of the things that Sam has spoken, that he's, that he's written upon, in his own struggle. He's a born-again believer, a Christ follower, a pastor of a church. He's celibate, committed to a, a life of singleness. Why? Because that part of him hasn't been healed, hasn't been regenerated, hasn't been... Old things in that regard haven't passed away, that, that, that the same-sex attraction still is in his flesh, that there's still this struggle that he has not been saved from. And when you examine scripture and salvation, it's a process that we're, when you look at the Greek words, we're, we're, we're saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved, that there's this process. I was saved from who I was, I am being saved from who I am, and I will be saved from all of these things. And that even if you give your life to Jesus, it doesn't mean that this particular struggle uh, is an indicator you're not actually a Christian, nor is it an indication that there's something fundamentally wrong with you. It just means that this is your struggle, your thorn to bear. And one of the things that I heard Sam, uh, one of the things he brought up in regards to parenting is that this might be the way in which you draw closer to Jesus, that you find yourself becoming more dependent upon him. What a radical idea. What a radical perspective. The other takeaway, number four, is that love is not always acceptance. Again, you see the signs, you see the parades, love wins, love wins as if there's something more loving about a homosexual relationship versus a heterosexual relationship. And his whole point is that if God is love and God sets the ideal that anything that, that is done in conflict or in rebellion to the way that God has structured it is not love. It's a distortion of love. It falls short of love. That love is not actually winning. Love is, is being distorted and warped into something that it's, that it's not. It's really just a profound idea. And that also influences, you know, love is not always acceptance, uh, just how we treat gays, how we treat homosexuals. We are to love them as Christ has loved us. We're to, to love them in their brokenness without precondition. And yet love is not acceptance. I can love someone and still be honest with them that the way that they're living their life is not how God designed it to be. That God has a better plan, a better way. And you can call me a bigot. You can say I'm hateful, but it's the, the opposite in reality. I'm exhorting you to a higher ideal that God designed these things. He established these things. He framed them to operate in the best way possible. Will you trust them? Will you believe them? Will you listen? Finally, persecution. You know, we live in this, wet, this, this season where you know, this particular topic is the greatest sticking point, the greatest source of, Christ, of Christian persecution. It's not acceptable to hold to a biblical concept of marriage and, and, and gender and sexuality, and yet persecution is always a sign that Satan feels threatened. Satan only attacks those in whom he's threatened by. And I was just so encouraged to hear Sam just uh, from within that framework encourage us to not see what we have this cultural opposition as opposition but opportunity it means god's on the march he's on the move well you've been listening to the outlaw radio show check out our website outlawradio.org from that page you can find our podcast as well as all of our contact information again my name is zach adams i hope you join me again this time next week for more of the outlaw radio show You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. 
As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.